0: Hi, I'm Lisa Kennedy and you're listening to The Braw and the Brave. This podcast celebrates the creative and the courageous. I am fascinated by those who are talented, forward-thinking and inquisitive. Sharing their stories, wisdom and everything in between, The Braw and the Brave is about people and their passions. So on to today's episode. Yeah it does. I'll just occasionally ask you that. I'll just be like, is it all happening? Hope, what's happening? <laughs> yeah it's still recording. Yes, very exciting. Oh my goodness. No, that th- is a very casual start. Anybody that knows the podcast knows that I'm not about the, the formal introductions <laughs> but I am connected via the, the joys of the internet to, oh my goodness, a para canoe athlete which is like a first for the podcast so that's, that's really cool really cool I'm speaking to Hope Gordon hello Hope hello <laughs> thank you so much for doing this and Hope just told me that um that I'm our new pal because you're you're in Nottingham <laughs> Hope and you're on your own
1: <laughs> yeah so I just I was home for nearly 14 weeks for lockdown back up in the Highlands and just a few days ago I came back down to Nottingham so it's nice to have somebody else to talk to Cause I've just been by myself.
0: Oh, I don't know after an hour whether you'll be still saying that. Hope, talk to me you <laughs> an hour. You'll need a rest. Gosh, there's I've got so many questions and so much that I want to, to know about you. Um, but the word canoe, right? So I'm just going to tell you that the word canoe catapults me into P7 and a residential. <laughs> thing that we went to you know one of those things like oh you get to peace yeah. seven you get to go away for a week or whatever it's called cames i don't even know if it still exists it was down in england somewhere and i'm a dancer but i'm definitely not what you would see the sporty type although obviously dance is a sport and we were in a swimming pool in a canoe and we had to do some canoe capsize thing oh my god my worst nightmare so it just blows my tiny mind that, you, that people can actually do that <laughs> but to be honest, up
1: until not that long ago, canoeing to me didn't mean much more than that either.
0: <laughs> got yeah. So,
1: why canoeing? Um, well, we probably need to rewind a bit. So my background's in swimming. I've got a friend that I knew through swimming who she went to multiple Paralympics with swimming and then after Rio twenty sixteen she changed over to canoeing and she just shared an advert that British canoeing were looking for new talent athletes. I thought I just saw, it and I thought, oh, give that a bash, and then I just went, uh, came down to Nottingham for for a trial uh, or for a, like an assessment, and that went well. And then I started actually in Edinburgh because I was in Edinburgh at the time at uni, mm. and kind of not long after that, I got invited to move down here and and train full time.
0: Jeez, so have you just been always kind of the sporty type, like gravitating? Because I, I read that you a dancer as well.
1: Yeah, I did a lot of Highland dancing.
0: Yes, me too. <laughs> yeah, did I actually like, really miss it. Oh do, you? yeah. Yeah, I, I mean gosh, I would be so much fitter if I was still doing Highland dance. Like you realise like how fit you are. Um yeah, so did you just gravitate to to being busy, to being active? Yeah, I think if I like think back
1: to my childhood, I don't I don't really remember being inside very much. I was always out either outside or away doing things. But I was—I would say I was a sporty kid, but I wouldn't say I was like amazing at sport. I—I I don't think I was one of those kids in school that, you know, they always want you on your team. I was just—I wasn't amazing at any particular sport, but I was okay at quite a few. If that makes sense.
0: Now they'll all be saying, "Oh, damn it! We should have picked her <laughs> for the team." <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so you grew up in the Highlands, is that right? Yeah. So a tiny
1: wee place called Rogart
0: up in Sutherland. Oh, I've never been there before. What, what, what's its best feature? Would you say?
1: Oh, um, <laughs> I mean, there's not many. Just, and there's not much in Woking. There's like one shop, Sandy's P.O. and uh, a hall. <laughs> um, but I think probably the best thing about growing up there was our house is literally in the in the hills, in the middle of nowhere. My nearest neighbour is a granny, and that's half a half a mile away, and then it's just a dead end. There's nothing else after that, really. Wow. Um, I always grew up with horses, so just loads of outdoor space, and we'd always just like I'd go out with horses
0: almost like daily after school. So that's probably the best thing.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: just make, up- I just makes sense that you would end up, you know, being so active and becoming an athlete because I guess yeah, like you say, there was not much else to do but <laughs> get outside. <laughs> <laughs> and move <Yeah>. your body <laughs> yeah <laughs> so the swimming where are you swimming from like a young age
1: well funny story I was actually nearly born in the swimming pool I think I was born like half an hour after my mum came out of Gossu swimming pool and she she literally just wanted to to have me in the bathroom floor but the staff that was on duty who actually still works there now he was like eh, no get out um and sent her to like a little kind of community hospital little surgery But I think it was actually shutting down at the time and they didn't even have any like towels or anything. So I was literally just born and just wrapped in my granny's jumper and that was it.
0: Amazing. How cool a story is that? (laughs) (laughs) Wrapped in your granny's jumper. I love it. That should be the name of your book. I'm just saying. (laughs) (laughs) Or at least a chapter, I feel. (laughs) Yeah, so... Like you were saying, swimming was obviously the sport that you were gravitating towards. And I read that you studied sports science as well at uni. Yeah, so I swam. I always swam as, as a kid. Um
1: it's weird now because obviously I'm a competitive athlete and like a full-time athlete now. But I actually wasn't interested in really competing as a kid. I just loved taking part. And mm. I swam just with the local swimming club in Gosby. And then when I went to high school, I I joined a club that was a bit more competitive um, in Tain. So I started training there, and that was when I actually probably kind of started training a bit more. So I kind of go after school a few a few times a week. I did a little bit with the Highland Swim team as a able-bodied child, if you like. But then it was after in two thousand and eight when my legs stopped working was when I really started swimming a lot more because I couldn't do any of the other sports I did.
0: Ah, got you right. Okay. So yeah, complex regional pain syndrome. I must admit I'd never heard of it prior to, to reading your story. Can you recount the time pre you know your amputation and just really what you're living with on a day-to-day basis
1: yeah so I mean I never heard of it either until I got diagnosed with it basically in January 2008 I, I just went to to school I was just you know just an average average kid going to school and I was um in PE we were playing football and my left knee just got really sore and this wasn't really a massively uncommon thing because I struggled with knee pain in my left leg since I was four years old, and they'd always the doctors always put it down to growing pains. I could, I've never really been able to to run for very long. I could run like within a football match or whatever, but in terms of actually going for a run, I, I've never really been able to do that. So yeah, during sport and PE, it was quite common for my leg to get sore. But then this this one day. My teacher just said to me, that's fine, just wait inside. Once it eases, join back in and it just didn't ease. And I remember having like my arms around two of my friends and they kinda helped me back into the changing rooms and it just didn't get any better during the day and I went swimming that afternoon after school and I just couldn't kick in the water that night and my leg was just really, really, really sore. And then I kind of hobbled out to the car, and mum picked me up and she sort of looked at me and she was like, What on earth have you done? And I was like, Nothing, my leg just really hurts. And then I went to pipe band practice after that, and I still just couldn't walk. walk. It was like the pain was just increasing. And I just went to bed that night and I thought, Well, it'll be fine in the morning. And then obviously it wasn't. And then the next day I
0: thought the same thing, and yeah, it just didn't get any better. Um, I'm, I, I apologise for smiling the reason why I'm smiling at you is I just I mean I don't know you but what I've read about you Hope and what I know of you I'm getting the, the vibe that you've just been you've always just been like a very resilient person just get on with it Would am I am I totally off the mark
1: I don't know I've literally never thought of it like that I just like that's just what I had to do that day so that's just what I did but I, I've never thought of it like that but maybe
0: <laughs> Yeah, and then I'm assuming the pain just didn't subside and it go worse and and then you're losing power in it then you know like you're saying you couldn't swim properly yeah
1: so the, it started in my knee and kind of gradually sort of the pain started moving down to my foot I couldn't bend my knee and then sort of over time I well I think the, the so this was the January and then that summer I went into Rigmore Hospital which is kind of the biggest hospital in the Highlands in Inverness and the The doctor there, he was like, right, we'll bring you in on the Monday morning. You go to theatre. We're going to stay in for a week. We'll do this. You'll get lots of physio and then you'll leave running. And I was like, okay, like, great, because obviously when you're like 12 and the doctor says to you, we're going to do this and it's going to result in you being able to run. You're like, yeah, sure. Get on with it. And basically, long story short, I basically came out of that hospital state a lot worse than what I went in. And then that was kind of midway through that that stay. I think that was when the doctors kind of started really scratching their head. And that was when I was referred down to, to York Hill, to the Children's Hospital in Glasgow. Um, and it wasn't until, by this point, I still didn't have a diagnosis. I still
0: didn't know what was going on with my leg. Gosh, how scary. That, that's when it starts to become, like, I'm sure, worrying for yourself. But your family and stuff must have been starting to go, right, like, what is this?
1: Yeah, I think it was. Like one of the hardest parts was was the not knowing what yeah, was going yeah, on. I can
0: imagine.
1: Um, and it's sort of every doctor I saw, they would say it was a different thing, and you just kind of got to the stage you just didn't really know like what to believe. Or, and then once I got to to York Hill and I saw the specialist there, and he he diagnosed me with it like in that 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 appointment. And it was I just I remember it really well, and I remember leaving. And he he said so it was me and my mum that were in the appointment. He said you've got it was actually to make it more confusing it's actually called reflex sympathetic dystrophy at the time Um it's now known as complex regional pain syndrome uh-huh. just to make it more confusing uh-huh. um, so basically said you've got this don't google it <laughs> so of course the first thing that you do is don't <laughs> google it and I, I just felt really happy I was like finally somebody actually knows what's wrong yeah. with me and can hopefully do something about it and then of course we went home and googled
0: it and I was like oh no I've got this like I, it's not what you want to have <laughs> No. So I don't want to fast forward, but leading up to the decision that essentially you made, what was your thought process? What were you having to deal with on a daily basis that led you then to this the huge, massive life altering decision that then you you made?
1: So I was twelve, like when this all
0: the whole thing started. Such a transitional age as well, because that's like going up to high school, and you know, it's obviously awful at any age. But I just think, like, as a young person, having that more of an understanding, so you're not a young kid where your parents can shelter you, like you can Google stuff on your own, and then seeing your peers go up to high school, and like, it must have been really challenging to ha- be having to deal with something that was so limiting and so, like, affected your everyday life all of the time. Yeah, I
1: mean, I think it's different looking at back at it now than it felt at the time, because I just thought I had a sore leg. But I think I was in first year when kind of the whole thing started. But uh, I spent a lot of time in York Hill, in Glasgow, and we tried to make it that my, my stays were during the school holidays so that I missed less school. But then it kind of got to the point where, like, my, my friends would just go away on holiday and I would just go straight into hospital. But I had a lot of different treatments in there. Like, the, all the staff in Ward 3A were literally, like, family to me. We called it Costa del York Hill, because literally I just went, like, I was in there so much. And then I think I was 14 when I I kind of first started thinking about amputation. I was still getting a lot of treatment at this point, but the treatments, A, they, they weren't helping but b there are actually a lot of them are actually making me worse mm. and I was just like there's not really going to be an end to this it felt well, that's what it felt like and yeah I didn't tell anybody because a I knew that amputation was against the guidelines for for the condition and b I was a bit scared because I thought that if I said that wanted of my leg amputated that everybody would think of it as like a negative thing and that that me just wanting to get rid of it and it wasn't really like that because I just thought of an amputation as a really positive thing and in just a way of getting on with my life. But obviously a 14-year-old child trying to explain that to a doctor is probably not going to happen. So I just kind of kept it quiet until I was 16 and then eventually I was sort of like, right,
0: well. And that I mean, obviously you'll understand and you'll know the reasons why amputation isn't on the guidelines for that condition, but to see how you have then been able to live your life and thrive – you know, as an outsider, it looks like it was the right decision. Like you say, it was a positive.
1: Yeah, definitely. So I remember the appointment so clearly when I first said to the doctor, and I think they were a bit like kind of surprised. But then I ended up, they sort of said to me, they're like, right, we're going to take you in for like an entire summer. And we're going to do like as many treatments and physio and this, that, and the next thing that we can possibly try, are you willing to give it a go? And I was like, well, yeah, obviously, because I want my life to get better. So I was in hospital for the, that whole summer, and like, <laughs> it was a bit of a disaster, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, I was basically then transferred over to the to the adult sector because my doctor was retiring anyway. And, and I thought, well, maybe I might have a bit more success you know, being out with paediatrics now. Um, I thought maybe the doctors might start listening to me a bit more but unfortunately that wasn't really the case and it was really hard to even see a orthopedic surgeon because they would read in my notes that I had CRPS and I wanted amputation and they would just run for the hills like they just didn't want to even look at me um, oh, and yeah. so it was so hard just to just to see a, a doctor and a lot of the doctors that I saw weren't surgeons like they were pain consultants and a pain consultant can't do an amputation so even the ones that could kind of see where I'm coming from I still wasn't getting anywhere because they still couldn't do it.
0: Mm. And those
1: closest to you were they fully supportive of
0: your decision what you wanted?
1: Yeah definitely yeah my family have been like super supportive like they've been amazing I think my mum was probably the first one that kind of really got her head around it and then my dad and my brother kind of followed suit, I guess. And but I think they could they could really see it from my point of view. And one thing that was really difficult was that I go into hospital appointments, and when you're sitting there in my wheelchair in a environment that's very kind of clinical like that's a safe environment they don't they didn't see it when you know I'm trying to go to the shops and people are hitting shopping bags against my leg and that would leave me bed bound for days or even just the wind or the rain or you know all these kind of little things that really made a big like impact oh, yeah yeah they, had, quality of life. yeah they just had no idea about that because they never saw me out with the hospital
0: so You decided on creating a crowd funder to have your leg amputated.
1: Yeah, so basically what happened was I kind of wasn't really getting anywhere. So then eventually I just took matters into my own hands and did a bit of Googling and research online in the middle of the night because one of the kind of side effects, if you like, of the condition was that I didn't really sleep just because of the pain. So if I got maybe an hour or two a night, that was kind of good. So a lot of my like decisions were made in the middle of the night. So I just researched online and I, I found this this consultant in Blackpool and I went down for a private, like initial consultation. And he was amazing. Like straight away he was he he could completely see it from my point of view. Um, and literally actually looking at my leg instead of just kind of reading about the condition in a book and it's not a to the book condition and he said yeah you need your leg amputated and he said I want this done through the NHS his exact words were actually all after everything you've been through the least you deserve is for the NHS to fund this so then we went back to the NHS and basically said we've got a surgeon on board We you fund it and then they turned it down um, and they said they wouldn't fund it so then at that point I was sort of like well I've kind of got two options as like a we could wait until we save that much money but I kind of knew that 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 would be literally like years and I was like I can't I can't live like years with like this or I just try and like make a page and it was quite scary to be honest because like my close friends and family knew about the fact they wanted my leg amputated but a lot of people that I came across on a day-to-day basis didn't didn't know about it because it's not really something that you kind of publicize so it's quite scary doing it initially but this response I had was just amazing and yeah I'm very thankful for everybody
0: I think it's amazing that you did that like you totally just you were so driven and just be like I know this is the right thing and obviously getting that validation from that surgeon that must just have been the the push that you needed as well to be like yeah yeah and I knew that this all along this was the right thing for me I mean, Hope, I'm I'm in total awe of you because I'm like, the fact that you did this to get the surgery that you needed and put yourself out there, like you said, obviously you just had that goal in mind and thought, this is what I'm going to need to do. So I'm just going to do it. How long did
1: it take to raise the money? Uh, so 30 days. So the, I didn't actually have any idea about this at the time, but the page, because it wasn't going to charity, because it's going to an individual, it was only... Active for thirty days, so I was like, oh "My word, I'm never going to get all this money in thirty days." I was like, "But if, if we get a chunk of it, it's fine. Like we can try and make up the rest." Um, but yeah, I was just so lucky that that we managed to to get it in in
0: in that time frame. Amazing. And looking back at your the surgery and then your rehabilitation, the recovery period is that a period that you like to look back on, or is that very much like that's you know that's a chapter that's closed? I
1: think. The hardest period was actually from when I got the money to actually have an operation because so I I fundraised sort of the end of 2015 it would have been. and I thought I was going to be having the operation January 2016, and the opt-in actually happened until the second of August 2016. so from from January to August it actually got postponed seven times. and some of those were like very much like last minute as in like literally kind of getting in the car about to go to blackpool and you get a phone call to say it's not happening and there's a lot there's a lot that went on in that that time frame and yeah that that was really hard to you kind of get a date set in your head kind of like from a psychological point of view that like right this is when it's happening and then yeah that was a long that was a really really tough time and I was also I was trying to finish my H&D at college at that time as well and yeah it wasn't great.
0: <laughs> Gosh hope you just take it all on your lap bring it on. So what were you doing at college? Well so I miss a lot of school just with being yeah. at so, so
1: much mm. and I was sort of like a year behind so I basically left I left school at 16 actually and I left I left home in a 16 I moved to Stirling and I swam there and I went to college and which was a bit weird because I spent the whole of that summer in a kids hospital where you're not allowed to leave the ward by yourself and then a week later I was just living by myself and I didn't even know how to read a bus timetable and I could cook pasta and that was about it. I I kind of worked my way up through through college and I finished with a HND in health fitness and exercise and then that got me straight into third year at Edmund Apier to do sport and exercise science.
0: So by that point you were thinking about a career in sport in some way shape or form? Yeah I mean
1: I didn't really know exactly in what kind of capacity but I sort of it would be kind of sport related so I mean I didn't do any sciences at school so I kind of did the the complete wrong degree because obviously it's a science degree and I've got absolutely no background in science whatsoever but hey ho <laughs>
0: <laughs> so then jump forward to a day in the life of Hope Gordon as it is just now I mean obviously we're speaking in very unusual COVID-19 times but to be then become a para-athlete in canoeing what is a day in the life like for Hope Gordon so I guess obviously it's different at the moment with um
1: everything that's going on in the world but how we do things are different but the principles are the same I now that I'm a full-time athlete I'm you know really lucky that I basically get up eat go to training eat some more train some more <laughs> you just get up and train two or three times a day six days a week and obviously that's changed quite a lot over the past while with everything that's happening and so I I went home just well, basically, literally, as lockdown started. So I was Mm. was so lucky to to get home. I felt so relieved once I was home because I was really worried that, because obviously everything was happening so fast, I was was started to get a bit worried that I wouldn't be able to get home. And I live in a top floor flat in Nottingham and I just didn't want to be stuck here. I was really grateful to get home. We were really lucky that we, we got ergos from British Canoeing. So I basically packed that in my car and went away. Up home, managed to borrow a few bits of equipment from from a friend who has a personal training business at home and sort of kind of bodged together at a gym <laughs> <laughs> out of literally like logs and old cupboards and toy boxes and just anything that was lying around <laughs> yeah so I, I think one of the good things about kind of living where. Where I live is that we we don't really have that many animals kind of on the croft anymore. So a lot of stuff is just kind of gathered, and you start looking at these things and you're like, "Well, I can make a bench press out of that. That can be a bench pool You start looking at all these logs and be like, "Well, that's a gym.
0: (laughs) That can be like a new business for you. Hope you could like create some like (laughs) outdoor gyms using stuff that you don't want anymore." (laughs) Yeah, it's a bit it's a bit like Rocky style, but it it. did the job. (laughs) that's it no slacking it's like how can we just adapt and obviously that's just what you've been doing your whole life it sounds just just adapting to change and just being you know really resilient to your situation and, and not only just coping but like absolutely smashing through life like the things that you've achieved thus far just totally blow my mind considering that you lived for so long so much pain and it sounds like you are um, very well named (laughs) thank you I'm sure lots of people said that to you before but yeah that you just obviously had that foresight to say yeah I can see that there's a better situation a better life for me and this is just what I'm going to need to do
1: yeah I just like I just knew that that was the right thing Amputation was the right path to go down and yeah I think I've proved a lot of doctors right and a lot of
0: doctors wrong (laughs) I bet you have. I bet you have. So your training regime obviously does involve canoeing. But like you're saying, obviously then you have to do a lot of strength training, I would imagine. What other kind of things are in there on a on a weekly or even daily basis that you just need to to be doing to keep up your fitness level and to keep up your training?
1: Yeah, so it kind of changes slightly depending on the the time of year. So over the winter we it's more focused on gym. Uh so our event is two hundred meter sprint, so it's very much a strength and power event so in the winter we spend a lot of time in the, in the gym just just building up strength and we're still on the water as well and um, that's mainly more kind of technical focused and then as kind of after Christmas it kind of changes a bit and then from like February onwards we're supposed to be on the water a lot more and now we should be obviously things be a lot, lot different right now but um, be on the water a lot more with Still in the gym as well, but a bit of a less lesson in, in the gym and a lot more speed on the water.
0: But yeah, just that dedication that obviously to become like a you know, it's one thing having sport in your life as a hobby, you know, and a passion and you've studied sport, it sounds like, you know, it is your whole world, but then to then become like a actual professional athlete, like that's another level altogether. What is it that you're working towards? Are you always coming up with new goals and new aspirations for you, yourself in the sport that you've chosen?
1: Yeah, it's it's funny because obviously I have been competing for, for quite a while, but it only really feels like since I started canoeing that I would really say I'm a competitive athlete because I did compete with swimming a lot and I trained a lot for swimming, but I think looking back now, swimming was never really about performance. It was literally my way of coping with what was going on with like my leg and everything and I really do have so I mean to thank a lot, a lot for. And then yeah, it's just totally different now that I'm in canoeing. And when I moved down down to Nottingham, well, it's it's quite funny actually because I I just finished uni, so I just graduated uni, and I came down to Nottingham for like just like a week to train with the team. So we're a centralized program, so most of the Olympic and the Paralympic sprint canoeing programmes are based in Nottingham. So I came down and it was really cool just to kind of see the, the environment and everything. And I think it was the second day I got kind of called into the head coach's office and I thought I was in trouble. It felt like being like called into the head teacher's office at school. I oh, know, what have I done? <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh no. And he basically said, he was like, we'd like you to move down here and train full time. And I was like, I'll let you know. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't really like... A hard decision because I needed a job because I just finished uni and I got offered to be full time athlete which is like the best job in the world so the next day I was like yeah okay <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've muddled it over I'll get a go I love it and and has it just been just a, a brilliant experience yeah
1: it's been amazing it's 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 totally different to anything I've ever done before like the kind of day-to-day training environment even the fact that I've never trained with other people with disabilities. I've always when I swam I always swam in kind of like an age group swimming clubs. Good. Whereas here it's very much high performance based. There's so many athletes that are, you know, the best at the in the world at, at what they do. There's also a lot of athletes who have been to previous games in different sports. So there's a lot of experience kind of kind of going on, going around you and I think that's kind of really sped up my progression.
0: So what's the next big goal?
1: Uh, well, I guess trying to qualify for Tokyo 2020 in 2021.
0: <laughs> so is that what's happening it's, it's next year?
1: Yeah, so um, obviously the games have been postponed. So we don't know exactly what's going to happen. I don't think anybody in the world really knows what's happening right now. But we think that our selection's going to be April next year. It was supposed to be April this year. So we kind of, by the time lockdown happened obviously it took them a while to announce that the games were going to be postponed and by that point we were all getting a bit frustrated because we were still trying to train and we we're still trying to train as if we had selection for the Paralympic Games in I think a few weeks time and at one point they actually tried to bring selection forward because we didn't know what was going to happen and we basically got a phone call to say oh Paralympic selection is going to be next weekend and and then it was changed to June and then obviously the Games had been postponed. And I think by the time they actually announced it, it was it was more of a relief than anything because it was quite stressful trying to train to qualify for Palmpit Games when you're 500 miles away from your boat and in a barn in the north of Scotland. So Does your boat have a name? It doesn't really have a name, but it's... I am an ambassador for Finding Your Feet. I saw that, yeah, yeah. So I've got, um, I've got quite a few kind of Finding Your Feet little stickers on it, um, like hashtag No Limits, um, things like that. So
0: yeah, I just came across them not that long ago, actually, before I was introduced to yourself uh, and followed their Instagram page and was kind of looking at what the kind of work they do. So they support those affected by amputation and um, limb absence. Is that right?
1: Yeah. So it's basically somebody that's affected by limb loss and their families as well and it's a really great charity I think for me I was quite lucky in that I'd been involved in swimming for quite a while before I had my leg amputated so I knew a lot of amputees before I had my leg amputated but the people that I knew who were amputees they they're very much in a kind of positive state of mind because they had sport and when I started to get involved with the the charity I sort of realized that that isn't the the norm if you like and there's so many people out there who a big day for them is you know being able to leave their house and go to the shops and that's a big achievement for for some people and I think when I got involved with it finding your feet it really opened my
0: eyes to to a lot of things yeah because it sounds to me like you your response and your attitude towards amputation was always a positive one and that's not to negate what you went through and I'm sure there was you know absolute hurdles and terrible times when you were going through your, you know, the recovery and the rehabilitation. But it sounds to me like you've always had this kind of positive attitude towards amputation, but that's not necessarily going to be everybody's experience. So it's lovely then to know that there are these charities, these communities, like you say, you're part of a sporting community that you've always been supported by other people and been able to, to identify with other people that have gone through something similar to you. But there must be so many people out there that are just, this has been, utterly life altering and they don't have anybody who's had a similar experience to talk to.
1: Yeah exactly and that's exactly where Finding your feet, step in if you like, pardon the pun. Um mm-hmm. and yeah, it's just great. And like the the people that do that run the charity are just
0: amazing. Like they're like family to me. And um I saw you got a big massive cookie asking you to be an ambassador for the, the charity. I love that. <laughs> yeah, Cor just sort of like
1: got down on one knee as if she was about to propose to me and then opened this box and it was saying, Will you be
0: an ambassador? Um, so yeah, it was yeah funny. To think about that one. Was that the same as when you got asked to be, um, you know, a professional athlete? You're like, oh, I'll think about it. I'm all over. <laughs> well, it's it's funny because Cor was sort of like, will you be ambassador? And then she's like, well, you
1: kind of unofficially been our ambassador anyway. But can you make it official? And I was like, well, what do I need to do? And she was like, just continue doing what you're doing. And I was like, well, I can do that, I
0: suppose. <laughs> <laughs> And like you're, you know, you're. We're sitting here having this lovely conversation, and you're you're opening yourself up and telling me everything that you've been through. I'm sure you've done that several times. Is that something that you always endeavoured to do, like to tell your story, or has it just kind of happened by chance, kind of organically? I don't really know. I mean, it's sort of like if if people want to talk to me, I'm
1: happy to to chat. But I think I think one of the positive things that came out of my kind of story, if you like kind of being more in the media and like the fundraising for the amputation stuff was it? it put CRPS like in the news and it gave it a lot more attention I think a lot of people kind of learned about it which was good well I think it was positive because it's not a well-known condition at all and it still isn't a well-known condition and it's still not very well understood even by you know the most medical professions so I think the more awareness
0: that's created is is a good thing of course yeah just like you were saying that lived experience you being able to to see exactly how it was for you because like you say when you were in the hospital it was very much just this window of you know I'm in a room and this was what it looks like now but not how you were actually having to deal with everything on a daily basis and how it was affecting your life and and essentially stopping you from doing the things that you wanted to be able to do have there been moments of sharing your story and being an ambassador for the charity where you've just been like, this is mental. Like, you know, have you had to do speaking engagements or radio interviews or have you met certain people that, you know, inspire you that through, obviously telling your story that you're just like, wow, never thought I'd be here doing this. But I think like what I found is
1: that being involved in kind of sport and power sport and the, the charity is that, I'm not really inspired by well it's not that I'm not inspired by like really really big famous people but the people that inspire me I, I can call them really good friends so the likes of carr who founded the charity she was a well she lost both her hands and both her feet to sepsis and then has since had a double hand transplant so she was a quadruple amputee and now she's a double amputee double hand transplant patient so she she's
0: definitely definitely inspired me yeah you're actually rubbing shoulders with the people that inspire you but the thing is in the same breath you'll be inspiring so many other people as well and telling your story and what you've been through and what you're achieving I guess looking back all the time it must be difficult to be like that happened but look at what I'm doing now I was a bit conscious in speaking to you today that I don't want it to feel like what's happened to you is the most important thing it's like a whole it's a journey isn't it it's like your whole life and what you're doing now is important obviously looking back it's cathartic and it's good to to look back and see the journey but you're very much on you know a journey now towards all the goals that you have set for yourself yeah
1: and I think even now like sometimes I mean being in a high performance environment is is amazing but sometimes you do get really really caught up in like the little things and if I have a bad day now Uh, like a bad day now might look like you know not getting a certain number in the gym or not getting a certain time in the water and then if I just like remind myself of actually not that long ago like a bad day was literally not being able to to get out of bed and having like no sleep for three days or whatever then it sort of puts things into perspective and I think as well like looking back at old photos is is quite funny because I'd be like, oh yeah, that wasn't actually that long ago. No, <laughs> oh, but well, that's what you're saying 2016. I'm
0: like, it's forty years ago. Yeah, so it'd be, yeah, just coming up for four years now, so which is crazy. Have you, um, in the last four years, have you done anything to be like, this is a monumental day? <laughs> yeah, so I like to make, like, I would say I make a bigger deal
1: out of that day than like my birthday because to me it means so much more. But <laughs> hmm. um, my one year anniversary was really cool because basically me and my best friend we decided that that we wanted to go away on holiday and I thought right that's great and then I started thinking about it a bit more and I was like right I want to do something that I couldn't do before that was when I sort of came up with the idea of going into railing yeah so I sort of said to her I was like what do you think about doing this and she was sort of like she was all over it but I didn't know if she'd actually like genuinely want to do it and and then she's like no let's do it and we didn't really plan it as such, but it just so happened that we, we left on the 2nd of August 2017, which is was exactly a year after my op. So it was just so cool because I literally just had a backpack and jumped on a train and went travelling around across Europe, which was so cool. <laughs>
0: I bet it was. I'm dying to do that. These are all the things I've been thinking about on lockdown. I'm like, right, that's it. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. The reality is I'm a big fear eater, and I probably won't do a lot of the things on that list. So I totally admire that you just were like, I'm doing this, making it happen. Yeah, and it's amazing. So is there is there something in the pipeline? I know it must be quite difficult now to think like things that are easing off, obviously, in terms of lockdown and stuff. So do you have any plans for the 2nd of August this year? Not really.
1: I can't imagine it's going to be that exciting this year, but I think one of the things was not so much about the anniversary, but certainly after my amputation, I just felt like I was saying yes to everything, like and because <laughs> okay. um, before I was I was very restricted to, to swimming. I couldn't really do an awful lot outside of swimming and I think it was literally about two weeks after my amputation, Car the founder Find Your Feet, she she spoke to me at in Westmark in, in Glasgow. I was there for physio, and she said, "Right, Hope, we're going to Dubai in December, um, and we want you to come with us." And I said, "All right, yeah, sure. Like, what are you doing in Dubai?" And she was like, "Oh, it's a, a cycling challenge." And I said, "Well, I, I've never really been able to cycle." Um, and she said, "Don't worry, Hope. It's t- going to be totally flat. You'll be fine. I'm going to do it as well." And I was sort of like, right, well, if she's going to do it without any hands and without any feet. I can do it with one leg. And I sort of said to her, I was like." I don't really know how to cycle but I'm up for challenge so just sign me up so I literally went to Dubai after being on a bike once and Jesus. it was amazing <laughs> I bet it was
0: <laughs> these are the things like if you just say yes and don't overthink things I would imagine and you have the, the clarity now of like I remember what it was like and the things that I wasn't able to do so yeah now you're just saying yes to everything i need to take a leap out of your book hope i definitely
1: do more recently i've kind of had to rein myself back a bit because obviously i'm focusing on the performance side of one particular sport and i don't want to risk getting injured so Mm. i have had to kind of rein myself back and i think if i was to say yes to too many things my coach would um not be too happy
0: (laughs) (laughs) and do you like have regular appointments or anything you know in terms of like so do you have a prosthetic that you have to get checked how how does how does that work
1: right so my prosthetic journey has been an interesting one (laughs) so basically when I had my amputation the 2nd of August and uh, I was a wee bit different in the the way that my amputation was private but then my rehab and recovery and prosthetics were NHS so there was a little bit of I sort of delay getting from one to the other, but no, it was, it was, it was, fine. And I think it was three weeks post-op. I was the first kind of time I, I don't know if you can classify it as walking, but it was the closest thing to walking I'd kind of done in a long time. And I can't even remember the name of the proper thing. I call it the balloon leg because It literally just fits around you and blows up like a balloon and that's that's your kind of first steps to get back to walking, if you like. And then you gradually progress on to it's called a femuret, so it's kind of just a makeshift leg basically that you kind of practice on. And then I think it was about six weeks post-op, that's when they first cast you for your own prosthetic they can't do it too soon because initially after surgery your leg changes shape a lot Obviously, it's really really swollen to start and then it kind of gradually um shrinks and that first year I think I went through about seven sockets because your leg just changes shape every time they can't make it quick enough for you because you get casted and then by the time they actually make it your leg shrunk down and doesn't fit so that was quite frustrating and that's something that still hasn't really kind of settled and I was actually completely off my prosthetic for about a year just because I was having a lot of a lot of pain in my hip and my back yeah I just wasn't getting on very well with it and I found that I was getting I felt more restricted when I tried to use it because I couldn't use it very well and it caused me a lot of pain and I thought well I'm better off just on my crutches but then I sort of really tried to to commit to really strengthening um well both my legs really, because obviously I was in a wheelchair for about ten years. So on my left side, which is my amputated side, like my wee leg, that's what I call it, there was literally no strength that whole side whatsoever. But then my right side as well, didn't really have much strength either. I could barely support my own body weight just because I'd been in a chair for so long. So that's certainly been a bit of a journey and it's kinda of own right and still okay. still a journey now. Um, yeah. Incredible.
0: Incredible. You just Feels like you're just taking it all on and just, you know, you can't imagine what's ahead for you. It's dead exciting for the Olympics coming up and stuff. I've
1: been out of the water, off the water for 14 weeks, so.
0: Gosh, you'll be missing it terribly.
1: Yeah, so actually yesterday was the first time I was back on the water. So I'd love to say that it was absolutely amazing that I came back straight away and it was great, but it was pretty rusty and very, very wobbly. Yeah, obviously 14 weeks is a long time to to be out of the boat. And we actually, we were off the water quite a lot before coronavirus because we had a lot of flooding in Nottingham, which you'd think that more water wouldn't matter, but it meant that we were actually off the water for for a long time. So it feels like I've been off the water more than I've been on the water in the time that I've been involved in, in the sport. So um yeah just the next while it's just a
0: case of getting back on the water and trying to get fast again well i wish you all the best with that for sure i wonder if you would indulge me in what's called the thingamabobs hope i'd love to (laughs) i love the name of your podcast when i first saw it i was like that's the best name ever thanks and i mean hope you are just like the absolute epitome of bra brave for sure you're a bra bag <laughs> yay <laughs> yay and um i was introduced to you through Scott Mina who's been on the podcast yes i just have to I totally agree with scott he said that you are an absolute warrior
1: <laughs> that coming from scott is it, quite big cuz obviously
0: scott's such a legend um yeah, what guy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel very fortunate to be in the company of people like yourselves. That that that's the joy of the podcast. Like, you know, I'm introduced to great stories like yourself and just that the I said this to Scott, like the word inspiring does get bandied about a fair bit and I, I, I tend to use it quite a lot. And and I find everybody that comes on the podcast inspiring for whatever they've chosen as their passion and what they're doing with their time. But no, I think you get the inspiring badge for sure, hope.
1: Well I mean I, I think like Scott's really helped me quite a lot actually because I met him through rowing I did a little bit of rowing and I think probably in 2013 or 14 around that kind of time and so obviously this was pre-amputation for me and yeah we just got on really well and he kind of kind of supported me through the whole trying to get an amputation have an amputation and yeah, we've just remained really good friends. We're very, very rarely in the same country at the same time. And when we are, the country's in lockdown, so we can't really see each other. But yeah, we just kind of keep in contact. And yeah, him and his whole family is his wife now, Maddie as well. She's she's a legend as well.
0: Brilliant. I love it. I love it. Yeah, so we're jumping on to the thingamabob. So I've picked out a few of these questions for you just to get to know you more, Hope. Now, I'd actually, funnily enough, I'd actually picked the first one that's on the list, which is autobiography title and earlier on did I not just say you had to have a chapter in your book called wrapped in my granny jumper (laughs) (laughs) so that's maybe a chapter I feel like that's maybe not the autobiography title so if you were to write an autobiography I mean I don't know you might have that I don't know about Um, (laughs) it it might be in the pipeline it feels like you might be a wee bit too busy for that at the moment but um what would you call it um oh that's a good question
1: a hard question a few people have, have kind of moaned at me. They're like, oh, you need to write a book one day. And it's one of those things I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's what you do when you're old. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't write an autobiography because
0: like, there's still so much to happen. You could just write but- one the now and then just cash in later and get another one done. That's what all the celebs do. Well, maybe, but I don't know if I really
1: would have enough people that actually want to read it um what would I call it I don't know probably something about probably something about smiling because I think before my amputation I f- I kind of hid a lot behind a smile I sort of doctors didn't really know how bad things were because I wouldn't say I pretended it was okay but I didn't really say kind of how bad it was and I was just sort of like I would say they usually sore, but then I just bit sitting there smiling. Um, even though it's very much a fake smile. <laughs> whereas now I feel like it's very much a proper smile.
0: Lovely. I'm so chuffed that it is. That's that's <laughs> that's a victory for sure. Um okay, here's one. Current obsession. Oh, my dog. <laughs> oh my goodness, so jealous. Right, tell us about your dog um so we've got a wee
1: cocker spaniel and she was definitely the best thing about being home for lockdown and I've only been away for a few days and I miss her so much her favorite place to lie she she sleeps underneath my covers in my bed but she lies in where my leg used to be in that like space she thinks it's her own space and if I'm sitting in the living room um, with my prosthetic on, like she jet, she literally looks at me as if to say, "Like, what on earth have you got that on for? Like, get that off. That's my space." <laughs> I love that. What's her name? Sherby. Oh, that's a cool name. So we kind of acquired her, and she's actually called Sherbet, but
0: then we just kind of shortened it, and she's just she just gets Sherby. Love it. Um. Right. I mean, you possess so many talents, but what hidden talent do you possess? Um, I play the bagpipes,
1: which I suppose in Scotland isn't a massively hidden thing. But I mean, I don't play them very much or very well anymore. But I do play the bagpipes. That's a great talent. Oh my goodness!
0: Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Keeping the traditions alive. Yeah. As a former Highland dancer, and you'll know yourself, it's important to keep these things going. Exactly. <laughs> Oh, here's a big one. Oh dear. What's a moment in your past that you would want to relive? Oh, um, it's hard to think of just
1: one moment. The whole trip that I went into railing, I would like love to do that whole trip again. I think there's there's a few like, a few of the firsts post amputation were really really cool. So the first time I got back on my horse, that was amazing. The first time that I could Kaylee dance, that was cool. <laughs> love a keely yeah so do i it's amazing um yeah so there's loads of things i'm not sure sh- would really hard to pick just one but as i said that that whole trip i just want to do everything again what makes you cringe oh i don't know <laughs> um what makes me cringe i think i well when people are really like really super nice and stuff that they cringe a bit and especially like when my mum's like been like, it sounds really stupid because she's just been really nice, but when she's just been really, really, really nice and like talking to people and stuff like that, that makes you cringe.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Which sounds awful, but I don't know, I just don't want to hear it. I feel like I've just been totally making you cringe this entire time, and I'm like, you're just amazing, I'm just in awe of you. You're like, shut up. <laughs> but it's genuine, it's totally genuine. <laughs> Um, so I apologise, I apologise if I've made you cringe. okay. Dylan, <laughs> like, don't be nice to me. Basically, yeah. Um, And I ask everybody this one. What is your favourite Scottish word or phrase? So I've given this a lot of thought. Have you?
1: Yeah, and I think it's it's really interesting what you realise is Scottish when I moved to England to train. Like things that I would just say on a day-to-day basis, and people would look at me as if I had five heads. So I've learned a lot of what's actually Scottish, because obviously when you grow up in Scotland or your family friends are Scottish, you don't that's just all you know. So there's so many, but I think my favourite one was probably it's probably gonna be Gheet Wilde. Yes. Um, and that once again there's a story behind this. So I think it was the first kind of time trial that I did in Nottingham. And my coach sort of said to me, he's like, Right, Hope, what's your plan? How are you going to go about this? And I just said, Well, I'm just going to get Loudy. And he was like, You what? I was like, I'm just going to get Loudy. And I think he thought I said Aldi, as in like the shop, because obviously I had no idea what what it meant. And he was like, What? And then obviously I explained what it meant. And then since then, before every time trial, every, co- every race, it's just our thing now. And we just say, um, like he says to me what am I going to do and I just say keep calm and get laldy
0: yes that's the name of the book love get laldy yeah Yeah. that's, that's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is so funny to me it just seems like you're totally Gina laldy every day of the week <laughs> <laughs> <I love it. laughs> hope this has been a total pleasure uh, massively appreciate you taking the time to do this thanks for having me it's a total pleasure and I just absolutely wish you all the best for everything that you're working towards and beyond thank you and um, yeah you're in the clan now that's it you're a, yeah. you're a bra bag Gina <laughs> <laughs> I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Brawn and the Brave a podcast about people and their passions join us next time for more insight and inspiration from my wonderful guests bye for now